believe this comes up. Can you see this uh, cartoon? So there he is. Go. Part of the uncertainty we have is uh, what's going on with the uh, Omicron variant. But I think one of the bigger issues right now for people is how do you pronounce it? So, uh, uh, Jack, the Greek alphabet was started sometime around 19,000 B.C. And uh, I was hoping you could give us the proper pronunciation before we get started. That's you've just opened up. A how about a, how about if I provided upon the completion of your presentation? <laughs> Thank you. Let me jump out of here and I'll get to the uh, to the presentation. Uh, it is one of the things that's been a bit of a challenge for people to uh, sort through. I think I'm in the right spot here. And one sec. So. There are some uh, real challenges out there, uh, but uh, I'm starting to think that this could be a lot like uh, uh, the end of 19 or the end of 18, where we had this pullback, but then you also had a, a very strong rally into the uh, end of the year. But we're certainly faced with a lot of a uh, lot of uncertainty, and it's too soon to know the degree of uh, problems that the Omicron variant is going to cause or does it push us to herd immunity faster without having the same uh, medical consequences that some of the previous variants have had TBD? But it certainly is impacting near-term behavior and uh, sentiment. A lot of concern about China's economic slowdown. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Geopolitics is certainly uh, a problem. And actually, you know the news is bad when the Build Back Better is moved to the back of the uh, the back of the line. Inflation is a uh, a hot topic still, so are valuations and volatility. So I want to touch on some of these, and we'll get to the opportunities quickly. But this uh, confirmed cases and where we're going and how this is evolving, and I actually just took some of the leading countries, and this is the seven-day averages. And you are seeing some spikes up, but you are starting to see some declines as well. And this is through yesterday from Johns Hopkins, so or through Sunday from Hopkins' website. But um, clearly there's a lot of uh, – mixed messages and uh, mixed implications of uh, this variant and what it's doing to different economies and to different countries. And it's a lot of it starts with what was your starting point coming in? Where's your healthcare system and how, what's your access to the vaccines? Um, we're starting to see a lot of action in the vaccine area. And, uh, but the other issue is if this is moving through as quickly as it is, and some people of the belief that, we're creating herd immunity in the unvaccinated populations uh, already. Um, does this move us to getting to the other end faster? And does that lead us to maybe having a much stronger global economy and U.S. economy than anyone realizes? So big questions around Omicron. China's slowdown is fascinating to me, and it's a subject that we followed for a long time at ARS. And uh, while we invest primarily in the U.S. with the second largest economy and what has been the driver of global growth for the last 30 years, um, you have to understand what their implications are on the on the economy. So this is GDP in U.S. dollars, and you can see a pretty big run. But back to 07, they were about $3.5 trillion economy in U.S. dollars. Fast forward to today, they're closing in on $17 trillion, and uh, they had a bit of a pullback last year, and this is their GDP changes. So let's go back to 07 here. We were looking at 14% GDP growth. But that was on a three and a half trillion dollar economy, which would have generated 506 uh, 
billion dollars of, of economic activity and economic growth. If you look at the numbers for this year, 17 trillion growing at about 8% after a pretty significant decline last year, um, which would give you about 1.3 trillion of additional contribution of global growth. I'm not sure that China slowdown is as slow as everyone thinks it is or is going to have as big an impact. I think there are big implications of what's going on inside China. I think the geopolitical stuff is real, but I think there might be a little bit of an overreaction to the slowdown of their economy. I think the economy is changing in character quite a bit, and I think it has big implications for the global economy going forward in the economics, but I don't think their slowing is uh, really the problem. They're managing the slowdown. What they're doing with the uh, real estate area now where they're stepping in looks like they've made the decision of how they want to handle this to the best degree, least harm for the next 12 months. They have the Olympics and then they have their Congress next year. And I suspect that China will have a lot of, there'll be a lot of rhetoric around China, but most of their focus is going to be on social stability and looking good over the next 12 months. And then after that period, you'll start to see some changing behavior, maybe a little more aggressiveness, depending on what their economic circumstances are and what the geopolitical circumstances are. So, Geopolitical issues, I think, are, are probably my biggest concern for next year, where people would usually uh, maybe putting inflation or valuations at the highest. I think the geopolitical uncertainty is the one that's going to create the most challenges. You have so many different fronts that are underway here that are creating big issues, um, and it's and it's draining a lot of resources from solving a lot of the problems that countries have to deal with internally. Um, when you're diverting the resources there and the focus. So I think what you're seeing with uh, China is going to play out in three areas, what they're doing with India, what they're doing with um, the South China Sea overall and Taiwan. And then more broadly, are we moving to a divided, uh, a digitally divided global economy with China uh, on one side of it and the Western world on, on another? I think what Russia's going on has also significant implications, but uh, particularly for Europe, and again, a distraction from Europe at a time they don't want to be dealing with this. I think there's another underlying one that is one of the biggest concerns for me, and it gets to the next two categories, which is the EU and the Middle East. And I'm worried about failed states and migration crises ramping up in ways that we haven't seen for several years on top of the problems we already have, I think migrate, uh, the migration issues are going to become uh, not only human rights issues, but really important uh, weapons of uh, politics between nations. And I think that's a negative that we're going to have to be very focused on how that plays out, particularly if the virus runs away from uh, people in the areas that have been less vaccinated or have underdeveloped healthcare systems. I still think we have our own issues in the U.S. with Washington, D.C., uh, but I think there are real strains on, on the global system right now from a geopolitical perspective that will be with us for a while. Listen, inflation is a real uh, is a real problem in the near term, and will it be a problem in the long term is TBD. But again, I think where we're seeing the biggest strains are going to be in the emerging economies, not in the developed ones. And I wouldn't put China necessarily in that category. Uh, they do have relatively uh, – uh, controlled inflation for what they need to do. But I think some of the South American nations and Latin American nations are areas with their real concerns on. But I think understand the opportunity requires you to understand the sequence of events that have occurred recently. And 
I'll just start with this crisis, starting with the March uh, 2020 when COVID hit and the policymakers responded very aggressively, taking the lessons from 08 with monetary stimulus and zero interest rates, which then led to QE fueling a money supply growth, which the combination of the stimulus that went into the system from a monetary perspective with the quantitative easing behind that pushing uh, money supply growth up has led to a, a rise in asset prices, stocks, houses, art, and crypto, which then improves consumer confidence. It also, as the stock prices go up, improves corporate confidence, which increases their spend on the areas that are important to consumers and to corporations. And this uh, this combination of the above is a pretty potent witch's brew to create a very strong uh, GDP growth, which leads to the question, what if the economy in the U.S. and maybe globally is stronger than everyone realizes? Uh, what does that mean? And that's not what's being t- talked about too much right now. Other issues are monetary stimulus that's going in today will be felt uh, 12 to 18 months out. Um, so we have a lot of support for the system. That's not counting the fiscal stimulus that's gone on around the world. We've put between the two over 40% of global GDP to work in the last 18 months to support the system. And that if we stopped all the tapering around the world today, you would still have another 12 to 18 months of support from the monetary stimulus, not counting the new fiscal stimulus that's going in in places around the world. And I would just highlight the difference on fiscal stimulus. China is doing very targeted, very focused stimulus on the areas that are problems. They're not trying to solve everything at once. The U.S. and most of the Western world is taking a more broad approach of trying to support the the broader economy in a less targeted basis. Um, I think this all provides a lot of support for 2022, particularly the second half. It does depend on when tapering starts. We could have a tapering tantrum, but I think that will be short-lived. Um, I think we're going to continue to see corporate profits rise, not equally, but uh, the companies that are going to be the winners are going to continue to spend big on productivity, which is going to allow them to offset some of the wage problems that they're facing. And remember, corporate spend on IT right now uh, CapEx on IT is over 50% of the spend. So this is a, a problem that's going to deal with not only the current issues around the labor markets, but the secular issues that we're dealing with, with the demographic uh, uh, cliffs facing many developed nations, Europe, China, uh, Japan in particular. I don't know if people saw the number, but Japan lost almost 927,000 people from their population on a net basis last year. Um, that's on 126 uh, million population base. And that rate, you could be down that you'll be down 20% on their population in 20 years. That's not a great scenario when you don't have uh, very strong immigration policies in favor of immigration. I think consumption is starting to become more balanced as we come out of the pandemic, which will actually ease some of the inflationary pressures. It'll also have supply chains start to clear and inventories rebuilt. And there are things that we're produced last year, but uh, this year, but not delivered or didn't get there in time, like uh, Halloween costumes and things like that, that will be used again for next year. There are other things that won't be. So you can't put a blanket on the supply chain issues and say, you know, it's one size fits all. This is a very nuanced market. If you look down below the markets, you'll see very different things. So I'll give you a sense. The um, In the in the markets that are up around 20 percent, 20 percent plus this year, you have a number of companies that are selling anywhere from 20 to 40 percent off their highs 
in in each of the big indices right now. So there are pockets of opportunity. There are big winners and big losers, but it's being masked by the broader conversations. So just look at the numbers here. I showed some of these last week, but this is central bank policy support for the Fed. It's up $4 billion in the last year, which has led to money, money, uh, money supply increasing at a rapid rate, which has corporations now setting records for earnings, which then flows into their uh, increased spend and their ability to handle some of the uh, wage pressures that are coming through and their real wage pressures. So we don't want to, you know, slough that off. I think there are, um, I'm sorry, and then you have these corporate profits continuing to rise. And I think there is a, a lot of opportunities there. So as we look out what's ahead of us, prepare for a lot of volatility, but stay long in the equities and avoid the extremes of valuation. What you've seen in the last couple of days even is big moves in valuation in the uh really stretch valuations. But I also think the stuff that is really low valued, unless there's real catalysts coming, um, is well-earned and will probably be uh, kept in that uh, extreme value, low valuation category, mostly because they don't aren't generating enough free cash flow to make the investments that they need to compete more effectively in the new world. I think you are seeing big valuation opportunities created. And interestingly, right now, and I have the numbers here, but um, on large cap, uh, and this is over the last week, large caps P dropped uh, to 20.5. That's down from the six month high uh, of 21 and a half in early November and compares to an 11 month low of 20.3 in early October. So um, uh, you're, you're seeing some uh, interesting numbers there. But if you go to the mid cap area, it's only 15.7 times, and uh, that's down 2% from its high five weeks ago. And uh, and then if you go to the small cap area, that's at a multiple of around 14.4, um, down from its 13-week uh, high of 16.1. So you are seeing pockets of valuation being created because of the volatility, and people are going to have to be a little more nimble to get get past that. I also think we need to look through the headlines and focus on not what's right in front of us, because that's where all the all the attention is. Unless you're an exceptional trader, I think you have to lift the secular themes to not get whipsawed by the volatility that we're expecting. Um, this is not a market for the indecisive. You have to know what your plan is and stick to your plan and adjust if you get waylaid by uh, some of the volatility. But you have to have the convictions in this one. And I think the way you have conviction is having a little extra cash to take advantage of the volatility that's coming. So, Mark, I'll stop there and open open it up for comments. I didn't look at the comments or questions. So, any initial comments, questions? Can you elaborate on uh, the um, confusion in, in D.C.? Is that just normal? Um. Well, I, I think the issue on D.C. right now is uh, is inflation is creating a problem for modern monetary theory in the near term. And the premise for the additional spends are really to try and add, do some of the social issues that we have to take care of. But it's coming at a time that we are stretched financially and debt is rising. And if there is a fear of that we're, the Fed's going to have to start moving to raise rates, it's going to increase the interest costs, which makes the whole dance that they've been going through on the Build Back Better America more difficult and more expensive. And I think they're also 
having a problem of how do they deal with the um, uh, the salt tax, which affects a number of high population, more democratic leaning states, but it's a tough one to get through. Is it really going to move the needle uh, or is it going to create so much additional spend that they're going to be put off by it? So I think there's a confluence of factors. Then you add to it on top of everything else you have the geopolitical issues with Russia and China and uh, and higher oil prices and gas prices, and it's just putting a lot of strain on the spend. And, and, and I'll add to that inside the Democratic Party, they're having multiple views of where they want to go with the party right now. I think that's creating a problem. Stephen, um, what would you say are the top three drivers for volatility out of everything that you've presented? Um, I think the geopolitical one, because it covers so many different areas, is probably the top one. I think it's followed by uh, inflation and then uh, Omicron moves back and forth um, in its in its importance based on the latest readings. Um, so I think the uh, the uncertainty around the when do we get out of the pandemic, uh, in addition to the other issues, is really um, uh, hurting people. So I think that's where the where I would prioritize them. Thank you. And we have a really good presentation coming up. So Mark says we can take one or two more questions. So, yeah, Steve, if you don't mind, just one quick question. Um, Pretty sobering uh, conversation, really, and presentation, but really comprehensive. Thank you for uh, for all that work there. Um, I guess in terms of like avoiding these extreme valuations, and I heard somebody come out recently and you know talking about certain asset classes being in bubbles. Do you have any sort of feel towards that? Or I mean, obviously you've got a lot of big picture things on the table of ge- from a geopolitical perspective, and yet you still have a lot of markets kind of still very much at peak valuations. Yeah, I think there's a real there's a real uh, dynamic that I don't think people fully appreciate, even though we know how much support has been given to the system globally. Um, it it takes years for that to get through, and we put you know just like we're at eighty, I think we're eighty five trillion dollar economy last year, and we put half of that uh, forty trillion in support to it. All right. Um, for a, for a global economy that had a 3% drop in GDP. So there's a mismatch there that I don't think people fully appreciate, which is what's driven the, the prices up. I do think there are areas, though, that it's really starting to raise questions with the volatility. And I think some of that's coming through to the uncertainty around policies uh, from governments and what you can count on. And, you know, how can they start taxing cryptos and IRAs? Is that going to change that dynamic? Is mm-hmm. are they going to get better? You know, it's, it's touching everything, and I think people are starting to worry about reach of governments as well. So I think the, those things lead to volatility. But Joe, the one thing I would leave you with is I'm actually more excited because I think people are so negative that we'll get through this and we'll move on to a really pretty positive outlook for me from the, for the U.S. economy because I'm not as worried about inflation being. Um, staying with us at the same levels that we're at now, I think it's going to start to come down. And I think there are, this is a deflation prone economy even still. I think the wild card of that is our understanding of what happened to globalization over the last 18 months. And I think uh, I'm I'm working on something right now that maybe the, uh, in the next two weeks we can talk about that because I think there may be some surprises on that 
And I just looked at China's export numbers, which are really robust yesterday. And that's not the sign of a economy that everyone should be fearing because of the pandemic. It's actually there's a lot of a lot of goods moving around the world right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Last question. Oh. And, and, and unless otherwise, if you if you'd like, I can chime in on a on a couple of details on the virus, if you'd like. Please. So can you also yeah. can you also do a deep dive the virus number seven update? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm 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 paddling awfully fast. Which takes me to the voting. I want to show the uh, there's a people can vote for you. Um, well, <laughs> most best event event creator award number seven. <clears throat> Denise Bruder, the Deutschler, Anand Shah, and Simon Vine. So reminder. <laughs> Thank you kindly. I, I, ho- I hope not to overpromise and underdeliver. So, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I think I think number seven, uh, probably sometime in, in mid January, something like that, would probably be very apropos because um, kind of the bad news, as everybody knows, on, on the Omicron thing, is that it's extraordinarily contagious. Uh, South Africa went from zero to nine thousand cases in like three weeks. And uh, so it's it's it and it has quickly dominated uh, all variants in South Africa um, just within you know a matter of days more or less. That's the bad news. Um, the good news is that it appears, and this is this is very limited data, but early indications are that it's it's pretty mild. Seventy percent of new hospitalizations in South Africa listed COVID only as incidental. So people aren't, by and large, they're not being, if, if you have to go to the hospital, it's not because of COVID, although you actually may have it. The average hospital stay so far related to COVID has only been 2.8 days, as opposed to eight days or longer for the earlier variants. And a very low percentage of, of uh, current patients are requiring ventilators. Most are doing okay on their own. And probably best of all is that the mortality rate uh, is continuing to be low. However, you know, as always, that follows the case rate. So we'll have the, the next this week and, and last week were really important to get kind of this this updated data. Uh, the next two weeks, as far as what we're looking at in terms of mortality rates, uh, will probably be equally key. So I think that, you know, Stephen, to your point, the potential, you know, for global herd immunity uh, is is probably there more than than else uh, that we've seen so far. And I think that once again, you know, with regard to, to your topic on volatility, I think the biggest question is going to be governmental policy response. You know, yeah, regardless, we, just New York City, regardless sort of, we just had New York City go to a vaccine mandate. Too for all employees, so for, for private companies that they're proposed, it's been put in place. I guess it's the end of December, the 27th of something of this month. So that it'll be interesting, Bill. I, I think the unvaccinated, uh, the vaccination or unvaccination issue could be answered for people with the herd, with the spread to the unvaccinated right now. Yeah. And that's that could be a wild card in moving us faster out of this back to a more normal economy.